Everybody has the handout. Tonight, we're going to continue with our big picture overview of the Old Testament. Last Wednesday, and for anybody who's watching or coming back and watching this later, you'll want to go back and catch this. I really, I had introduced previously, but very much developed the issue that runs all the way through the Bible. And it's there in the early chapters of Genesis, clearly, you know, highlighting uh, with the Tower of Babel itself, that being an obvious situation, with the city of man and man's glory versus the city of God. Uh, are we working, Reed? Is it working? Okay, good. All right, so city of God versus city of man and the glory of the city of man. Um, this week, we're returning to some things that... Um, really continue to move us through um, the, um, the issues of covenant and understanding covenant, but I'm also pulling out and highlighting some terms we've already talked about. So tonight, big picture over the Old Testament, understanding Isaiah in its Old Testament context, part five, God's covenant promises, signs, sons, and servants. Obviously, I went with the alliteration there, and I've ended up going back to the sons thing a little bit more, as you'll see with the opening. God's covenant promises, signs, sons, and covenant and servants in Genesis, Exodus, 2 Samuel, and Isaiah. Truth is, tonight, I will not actually literally take you over to 2 Samuel, but you all know, I mean, y'all, y'all who've been coming, you know we're going to touch upon this again and again. We won't cover it extensively, but again, you've got to have it as a point of reference, 2 Samuel 7, uh, God's promises to establish a house and a kingdom that is everlasting, an irrevocable, everlasting covenant with David and with the son of David who will establish this everlasting kingdom. That is going to be fulfilled by Jesus. You really have to run and always understand you're talking about the the promises to Abraham in 12 and following, Genesis 12 and following with Abraham. 2 Samuel 7, which is, again, why when we get to the New Testament, um, the lead verse in Matthew 1.1 is uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's going back to those covenants and those promises about the seed. Okay? All right. So, um, that being said, all that, obviously, this all runs through Isaiah. It all runs through Isaiah. And Isaiah is picking up on this. Um, That being said, let's go ahead and start with, as you can see in the handout, I went ahead and went off on uh, a pretty early excursus that we're going to get into on sons and servants. Adam, Noah, Israel, David, Jesus. This is all very relevant to Isaiah because there is attention having to do with what Isaiah is prophesying, what God is saying through. That's okay. I like that guy too. That guy's yeah. okay. <laughs> um, on um, who is Israel and who is the servant who needs to fulfill what God needs done? At one level, Israel is the son that God calls and is supposed to be the servant 
that brings God's light to the nations and brings all nations to Zion. That's the concept for Israel. However, as we know, that never did turn out really well, did it? And even, as I've said, even today, even when you look at, well, there's fulfillment in prophecy in Israel being back in, um, in the ground uh, that's called Palestine, it's a, that's a really big deal historically, but is that saving the world? You know, or, or you know, is that going to bring about the redemption of the world? Uh, no, as Christians, we believe actually that all of the promises are, find their fulfillment, as Paul says, in Christ. Okay? That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says. So I'll come back to that issue later and lay, uh, on down the line. Tonight, though, let's get into this sonship issue. Number one, as you can see, I went ahead and bracketed out, just thinking through this um, today, three sonship issues. The sonship issue, of, there's probably more, but these are big ones. The sonship issue of Adam as God's son. Adam as God's son. And Jesus as God's son. Jesus as the true and last Adam in the flesh as God's son. And also, obviously, Jesus as the divine son. Adam doesn't have anywhere close to a claim on that. But you have to understand Jesus is the son in both of those ways, just like Jesus is fully human as well as fully divine. Okay? All that runs through all of this is at play in Genesis onward in the Bible, okay? So, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man, Adam, in our image. If this is in the handout, or you can follow along with your Bible, either or both. Um, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the uh, creation mandate, the dominion mandate, part of God's um, covenant's call. I mean, again, I've talked about this. In the Reformed tradition, we see this and, and most evangelicals honestly see this as a, uh, there's a covenant going on, okay, with, with Adam at the creation. Uh, now, you pick up that language. We've already talked about that language quite a bit. Let's move on to Genesis 5, 1 through 3. I've talked about the genealogy in Genesis 5, chapter 5, in the whole city of man versus city of God highlight last week, for instance, and I think in the previous week, too, when I was just kind of covering different things leading up to Noah. Okay, now let's go back and look at this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And let me go ahead and highlight this. The reason I have that in italics there, because when you're reading in English, you do not get, unless I'm highlighting it for you, the fact that you have this issue of what does Adam mean? As I've told you previously, Adam can mean either the first guy who's created, right? Or Adam also means humanity or man, you know, in general terms. Okay? Everybody understand me? And the Hebrew, the actual Bible, leaves it open on several... So, in other words, this book is the... Uh, 
this is the book of the generations of Adam. That either means literally the first guy or humanity. Y'all see that? That's why I have that in italics there, okay? Um, God created man, humanity, or Adam, right? Um, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. So this goes back to, obviously, this is echoing uh, Genesis 126 and 127. And when you're talking about Genesis 126 and 127, you're talking about humanity, okay? The, the general creation conversation in 126 and 127 is global, is big. When you get to the story of Adam and Eve, that's over in Genesis 2, 4, and following. Okay, they're two different, they're not in conflict, they're just very different angles, right? Just like you have the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. Okay, you have Genesis 1, uh, 1 through 2, 3 into 2, 4, and then you have 2, 4 and following. They're different, okay? They're not in conflict, they're just quite different, okay? And 127, 126, 127 is this big thing about the fact that humanity is created in God's image, okay? Um, so, that being said, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. Adam. See that? You can see there, the ESV is telling you that that's a general term, right? Um, Adam, when they were created. Okay, now we are clearly talking about uh, the first man, and so I didn't go ahead and, like, put that in italics there. When... But it's the same word in Hebrew, okay? Uh, when Adam, or when Adam, had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this, let me get off of the Adam thing for a minute. The other thing I'm italicizing and bolding and highlighting for you here is so you can see the juxtaposition of 5-1 and um, uh, 5 uh, Three here, okay? So God creates humanity and or literally, you know, Adam, as in Adam and Eve, in the image of and likeness of God, right? Adam turns around, the first man, and fathers... By the way, he fathers Cain and Abel, but right now we've got Seth before us because Seth is the big deal, okay? But anyway... Um, and you remember, we've already given up on Cain, the, you know, who moves off and establishes the first city of man, right? We're, we're really not, we really don't want to be on his team, do we? <laughs> okay, so, um, uh, so you get the juxtaposition here, right? Seth is in, the, is, is Seth in the image and likeness of God? He's in the image and likeness of Adam, and Adam is fallen, you guys get this, okay? <laughs> so we've got, a, we've got a serious difference going on here, all right? Um, and this is going to get picked up all the way over in John's prologue, right? We're going to have children who are born not by the will of man and by the biology of man, but born of God, Okay? John 1.13, right? So Genesis 5.32. Now, so, so I started you off at the opening of chapter 5, 
And everybody, you know, this is like the, a classic chapter that everybody skips over and says, this is boring, let me move on. Okay, this is not boring. All this genealogy stuff is really important. There's, there are no wasted words in the Bible. We may not understand why some of them are in there, but there are no wasted words. Here's at the end of the genealogy, uh, Genesis 5.32. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered, and by the way, that would be begat, just like Adam begat Seth, you know, in King James language, okay? Uh, Noah begat, fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So um, we're, we're seriously downstream from the guy who was created in the image and likeness of God, right? However, he was created in the image and likeness of God, so in a sense, not in an ultimately divine sense, but in a dominion role and calling on earth sense, Adam is God's son. Okay? That's not some wild, you know, creative imagination on my part or anybody's part. That's in the Bible. And so let's pick that back up. You go over to Luke, and you can see that's the next thing I have quoted here. Luke 23 and, 20, uh, and 38. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old, being the son of, the son as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, obviously, what Luke is saying is, is, is Jesus really the son of Joseph? Biologically, no. But regally and patriarchally, yes. Covenantally, yes but not biologically. And then you get down to, you go all the way through Jesus' genealogy in Luke, okay? And you get to the very end of it. 3.38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth. You should be recognizing these names, right? Because we're back into Genesis, right? Genesis chapters, you know, four and five right now, okay? And you're picking back up on that Genesis five genealogy. The son of Adam, the, what does Luke call Adam? Son of God. But wait a minute, I thought Jesus is the son of God. Yes, he is. But also, as far as in covenantal and image terms, in the city of God, people who really are doing what we're supposed to as human beings are supposed to reflect and represent God on earth, okay? And we come directly from being made in the image of God. That was Adam. Adam fell. So Luke is telling us, you need to really root for Jesus because we know how it turned out with Adam, right? We're going to really need another Adam. Okay, y'all see that there, right? Okay, so that's that, that son thing. Now, notice Paul, among other places, picks this. I just went ahead and highlighted one thing from Paul here with, with the discussion of the resurrection. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.45, Thus it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The first man, Adam, became a living being. Now, notice Paul goes ahead and addresses, I thought this was kind of interesting. It really hit me having just done the Genesis thing, right? 
that Paul really wants to make clear, you understand, I'm not just talking about humanity in general. I am talking about the first guy, okay? <laughs> so the first man, Adam, just to make that very clear, Adam, Adam, is kind of what he's saying there. Y'all see that? Uh, the first man, Adam, became a living being, which is good, okay? But he died. The last Adam, or in other words, the ultimate, the completion Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So Adam received life. Jesus gives life. Who can give life? God. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's that. Um, you can also see John 5, 21. Let me move on, though, because I know I get... I, if I have time, I'll come back to that. Um, number two, sonship issue of Israel is God's firstborn sign. We got a lot of sons going on in the Bible, okay? We got Adam, right? And then we also have Israel as a son of God. Sonship issues of Israel as God's firstborn son and servant, and Jesus as God's divine true son and servant. And this is a big issue in Isaiah. Who, what are the servant songs about? Whom are the servant songs about? Um, so, um, and who is the true Israel? So, uh, this is at play here. Romans 9, 4. Paul just, I've already given you the longer quote from here, I believe, previously in, in, in this study. But just picking up, just highlighting here just a, a little bit here. Romans 9, 4. The people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as what? Sons of whom? Well, they're sons of Abraham, but at the highest level, they are adopted as sons of God. Um, the, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory and the covenants. I've kind of already been through this about how important this is with uh, Romans 9. Theirs is the giving of law, the temple worship, and the promises. Let's, everybody with me? Any questions on this? So we're going to see, where does this come from? Did Paul make this up? What do you think? Did Paul just kind of come up with this? Y'all think he just kind of got creative, you know, on this side of the resurrection? No way, right? Let's go back to where it comes from. This is God, the Lord, talking to Moses. This is big. This is like you need to know these verses to understand Exodus and, frankly, to understand the Bible. Okay? And this is big talk from God. 4, 22 through 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my what? Firstborn son. So Paul didn't make that up, did he? Um, and I say to you, let my, let my who? Son. Go. Why? so that he may serve me, Avad, right? And what's the issue in Isaiah? I called you guys to serve me. You've been unfaithful. I called you to be children. You've been unfaithful. And then all of a sudden, in the second half or second part of Isaiah, we get these songs of a servant emerging. Who is this servant who's going to you know, make everything right? Okay, so that's, y'all see this, right? This re really plays into Isaiah. 
Let my son go that he may serve me. You notice God doesn't say, does God call sons just because they're cute? Just let them go off and play however they want to. I, I'm kind of an indulgent daddy. Let them go off to, I don't know, gamble. Let them go to Las Vegas, Pharaoh. Let them go to Las Vegas and blow all their money and hang out with the wild women. Is that what God says? No, God wants them to come and, sir, I got a plan for them. I got a mission for them, right? If you get adopted, God has a plan for you. God does not waste his time on people, okay? So anyway, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, this is what I said. This is ominous. This is big stuff. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your. Notice Israel is my firstborn son. You don't let my son go, I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn son. I'll make a deal with you, Pharaoh. What's your choice? And that plays out, and that runs all the way through the Passover. What, what happens at the Passover? What's the Passover about? The death of the... And who brings that about? The Lord. You know, coming or sending, coming as or sending the angel of death. God, you know, um, God is challenging. And, you know, God is ready to kill one of Moses' sons. I'm not going to go into this tonight as far as, like, looking at the Scripture, but you all may remember this. God is ready to kill one of Moses' sons who has not been circumcised. Because this gets me to the next thing that I'm not spending as much time on tonight. The sign of the covenant is a really big deal to God. It's a really big deal to God. Are you under the covenant or not? Okay? Um, okay, Hosea 11.1. 1. When in Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel is a people, but centrally to God, all Israel is a son who's supposed to serve the Lord, right? Okay. Um, now, Matthew 2.15. Who else goes down to Egypt? What other firstborn son? Jesus, right? Where he, Jesus, stayed until the death of Herod. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. And Jesus returns to uh, Israel. Okay? Um, compare Christians as children and sons of God. A lot of, lot of talk in the New Testament about us being children of God. Okay? 1 John 3. John 1 I've already mentioned. But notice this. In Romans 8, 14 and 19, again Paul, and again Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing or the revelation of the what? Sons of God. The creation is saying we're subjected to futility. All creation in the world and the nations are messed up, could we please have the sons of God come forward? You know, you guys were supposed to be like in charge, like good stewards, and you've really messed up. So anyway, you've got that, and that's ultimately going to only be revealed at the resurrection, apparently. Okay, that's, what that's, that's really what Paul's saying. Um, okay, everybody see that? It's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? 
Okay. Now, number three, I got another sonship issue for you. Sonship issue of David. Um, and I put in quotations, David, because sometimes in the Bible, quite a bit in the Bible, when you say David, David does not necessarily mean the historical figure by himself who lived a thousand years before Jesus, right? Sometimes when you're talking about David, you're talking about the throne, okay, and the covenant promises and the line. Just like, okay, this is not a, this is not a great analogy, but it, sometimes when uh, Catholics, Roman Catholics, talk about the present pope, whoever the present pope is, okay, doesn't matter. They talk about Peter, right? Because that gives him authority. Okay. So in this case, when you talk about David, sometimes in the Bible, you're not talking about, you know, you might say, why are you, why are you saying David's going to come? Or David's going to do this or that? David's been dead for like 500 years, <laughs> prophet. Why are you talking about David right now? You're talking about the whole line, okay? Um, so um, that's why I have that David slash David quotation mark as God's son and servant, and Jesus as David's and God's true son. So David is also a son of God. Jesus is going to turn out to be the true son of David as well as the true son of God. That is a huge issue, and that is going on in Isaiah too. Obviously, to understand the New Testament, you're supposed to understand that. Um, and to understand who Jesus is as the, the Messiah, but that's running through Isaiah 2. So let's go ahead and note this, and uh, of course, to understand the Old Testament, you want to know this. Um, like I said, I need to go over to uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, let's just do Psalm eighty-nine twenty-seven, And I will make him, this is a psalm about David and God's covenant with David, okay? It's a psalm about God's covenant with David, and with the, um, the seed of David, okay? Um, and I will make him, meaning in other words, David slash quote David, okay? And the seed of David, um, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And who turns out to be the king of kings? David actually never got that appellation. But somebody does. Okay. So uh, let's play off of this. Then Isaiah, uh, Israel, and an individual Messiah as God's son and servant. Uh, yeah, let's just go. Um, I didn't. So I am actually going to open. Isaiah here for a minute and just read through a few of these things. You heard this on Sunday about how Israel, the people of Israel are supposed to be God's children. So um, at Isaiah 1-2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. This will be familiar to you because we just read it on Sunday. Uh, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Is God up in heaven talking about Jesus? Now, that wouldn't make sense, right? Because how many Jesuses are there? There's one. And did Jesus rebel against God? 
So, we're talking about Israel down on earth, right? This is the beginning of the covenant lawsuit, like I said on Sunday, against Israel. And it's not just you're in covenant, okay? It's not just you're supposed to be uh, my citizens. You're also my children. That's why I said the language here gets very personal. This is an offended father, okay, as well as a... a offended king. Um, so that's that. Um, uh, any, any other notes on that? That's like in the first part of Isaiah. Let's just go over to a few others. 43.6. Now this is good news stuff over here. Okay, But note, God is going to bring back his people, right? The faithful remnant. 43.6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my whom? Sons. Okay, well, is Jesus unreconciled to God at this point? No, we're not talking about Jesus, right? We're talking about, you know, the Jews, the Hebrews. Um. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Um, let's go to 63, 8 and following. I'll pick up at verse 7. I will recount the steadfast love, you know, the chesed of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his chesed, his steadfast love, big word. I mean, that's how we're saved, through his steadfast love. Verse 8, for he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. Why did he become their savior? Because they are his people and his children, okay? In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Okay, but remember, this takes us back to... Chapter 1, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock, of his flocks? Where is he? who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths, and so on, okay? Um, all right, then, um, yeah, six, 64, let's go over to 64 too. We're basically, all we gotta do is turn the page. This is a striking 
verse and passage here, 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our what? Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And then they're appealing, okay? Um, so that's Israel. Israel as the sons of God, the son of God, singular son of God, together, kind of corporately, the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God, the children of God. But in Isaiah, early on, Isaiah knows, I mean, the Lord is telling him, we need more. So just for an example, you know this verse very well, right? 9-6. For to us, a child is born. Well, we already got a bunch of sons and daughters. Why do we need this extra child here? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it. Uh, with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's connecting directly back to Isaiah's taking us out of all this Exodus stuff, right, over to 2 Samuel 7, etc. Okay? Um, now, uh, look at this. Isaiah 41.8. You know, we'll get this. So, so you'll kind of remember this, and we'll walk back through it when we preach through these passages. Um, Isaiah 41, verse 8. It's, this is in the handout. These parts are in the handout, these little, little verses. But you, Israel, my servant, right? Israel is the Evan, Jacob, whom I have chosen the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And literally, it means like it's a love language there for Abraham. The Lord loves Abraham, like a, a real loving friendship, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, here the point is Israel's supposed to be a servant, okay? And again, when, when the Lord lays down the law with Pharaoh, he says, you need to let my people go, right? Because they're my son, and I want them to come serve me, Okay? So there, Isaiah 41.8 is picking back up on this. Um, Israel is supposed to be the servant of the Lord. To bring what? I, I'm, I've kind of jumped ahead here, but I think you all all know this, right? Uh, the promise and the covenant through Abraham is supposed to bring blessing to all the peoples, right? So Israel is supposed to be setting this in motion at the crossroads of humanity, you know, in that little strip of land. God gives them. Um, but then look at 44, Isaiah 44, verse 1, and follows. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. And so God's choosing Israel. But notice that in juxtaposition then with 42.1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Ah, now we're finally going to get fulfillment of the whole Abraham promises. But this is this really Israel? I mean, are we, are we continually only talking about Israel? And the answer is no. And in case we missed that, in case we are confused about that, when you get to 49 and 52 and 53, clearly something better is provided for us to bring about perfection. So um, let's go to the servant song of, of 49. Y'all know there are four servant songs, right? I guess I'll come back to this some. I think I, think I kind of laid that out for you in the overview of Isaiah. But remember, there's, there's the four servant songs, okay? In the 40s, running through 53, 52 and 53, okay? So uh, this uh, is uh, 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my Eved. Okay, just like Israel's my Eved, not my servant. You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right hand is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. And now says the Lord, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Wait a minute. How is Jacob going to bring Jacob back to him? Y'all see that the tension has been building here. And now, you know, we're talking about Israel as the servant. But we're talking about somebody who, who, whose mouth is as sharp as a sword. Israel kind of never hit that bar, did they? Who do you think we're talking about here? Obviously Christ, right? So um, the true Israel. Um, and then it turns out whoever this is is not just going to bring Israel back. He's actually going to reach everybody. Circling back around to right, Genesis 12 and onward, right? Okay, let's keep reading. Um, and now, verse 5 again. Um, and now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, Again, y'all see this, right? I mean, this is like, this is, Israel is not going to bring Israel back to him. I mean, this is like Jacob is not going to bring Jacob back to him. There, we've got somebody else at play here, and let's keep going. Um, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, in other words, the remnant. I will make you as a light for the nations, for, for the goyi, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Again, we have a conflict going on here, because Israel is supposed to be the light to the nations, but now all of a sudden we have a servant who needs to bring Jacob and Israel back, 
And it's this new servant or this special servant who's the true Israel who's actually going to be the light to the nations. Again, who is this? Jesus. Everybody see that there, right? Okay. So that's, that's uh, and you keep going with that servant song. And then I, I think it's rather obvious, you know, when you get to 52 and 53, somebody's pierced for our transgressions and we all despised him, um, including, by the way, Israel. So, you know, it just doesn't make sense that this is all Israel, right? He's like a sheep led to slaughter. Who is this? Who is this? It, at this point, it becomes patently obvious that we've got a problem if we want to just read, well, it just means Israel, you know. Um, okay, everybody see that? So that's, that's that issue there. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You're going to see that. That's, that's the thing that's going on in Isaiah that is so revolutionary is God is bringing this vision or visions and clarification looking to a redeemer who is who is Israel fulfilled, Adam fulfilled, David fulfilled, but bigger than all of them put together. Okay? Um, the true servant, the true son. Anyway, that's that's going on there. Um, now, God's covenant promises signs, sons and servants. Okay, let's keep let's just want to uh, now I want to start hitting some stuff and moving on that I didn't get covered last week. Okay, so let's let's keep going as much as we can. But that stuff is cool about the sun, don't you think? Um, okay, Genesis one through two three and two four through three nineteen. I hit this briefly last week. I just want to remind you of this. Um, there are ten. There are ten, and God said, and God blessed, okay? And God blessed, and God said, in, um, in the creation account. And what are we going to get when God makes his covenant through Moses with Israel? How many words do we get coming from Mount Sinai? Ten. You're not supposed to miss that. Okay, everybody see that. Genesis 1, okay, connecting with Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. So that's just pretty cool stuff. Okay, now then, um, I've already gone into the Proto-Evangelium quite, quite a bit. I just want to point out here that, as I said a couple weeks ago, the cursing is of the ground, number one, okay? Remember that, because I'll, I'll brush over that when we get to Noah, and I'm trying to move pretty fast here. Uh, but the other thing is, you have the great reversal, because who is supposed to have dominion over the ground? Who is supposed to have dominion over the dirt? Adam. When Adam sins and falls, all of a sudden, Adam is subject to the dirt. And he's going to get buried in the dirt. Now, ultimately, he's going to be redeemed from the dirt, okay, by the ultimate Adam. And fortunately, ultimately, it's only the serpent who bites the dust, the serpent and his seed who bite the dust forever and ever. Amen. Okay? But that's going on here in this whole dirt thing because 
we've had this total reversal. Adam has, does sin really mess us up? Sin really messes us up. I mean, God made man in his image to rule over all creation, and he ends up being subject to the dirt. That's not good, is it? Okay, so anyway, um, let's keep going on this. Um, Genesis 6 and 9, the Noahic covenants, we've talked about this. Um, First time you get the Hebrew term brit, um, God establishes his brit, his uh, berit with uh, Noah, with rest, and gives rest a command. Uh, Noah and his family must come into the ark. Remember the ark? Um, I had this last week. We just talked about this same word as what Moses gets saved. We're like put in, you know, it's the same word, right? Tabat. Okay, so I don't have that in the notes tonight, but let's keep going. Um, 8.20 through 9.17. This is commonly referred to as the Noahic Covenant. And just a few things here. Now, once Moses is introduced in chapter 6, this thing that God is making a covenant with Noah, he repeatedly, Moses or Genesis repeatedly, uses the term covenant. And let's just see, this is an everlasting covenant, and it has a sign. Covenants have signs. Sign, God is very serious about the signs. Um, very serious about the signs. We'll just see what we can do tonight, and I'll pick this back up and finish off some of the sign discussion next time. Again, this, I'm not intending to do, like, really deep, extensive study, but I think it's just important to really highlight this emphasis of God and of covenants on signs. Um, Genesis 9. By the way, just let's just pick up um, verse 7 here. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Remember last time I talked about how, and I think the last two times I talked about how the Noah thing is like a restart and the mandate is there about multiplying. Is it working, Reed? Okay. Um, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God, is the audio working now? Okay. Um, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my berit, my covenant, with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you. Now notice this. He's establishing the covenant with Noah, but also, right, with every creature. This is a universal covenant. And when I say universal, I mean really universal. Is it back on? I think so. Okay. Um, This is a really universal covenant. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, a really universal covenant because he's establishing it not just with all people, right? I mean, actually, Noah and his family are all the people at this point, but, but he could have said, you know, all future people or whatever, but with every living creature. So let's keep reading here. And every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish or I cut my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off 
by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Uh, this is the sign, and, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant, okay? Oh, and the Hebrew here, you can kind of remember this. It, it's, not, it's not like transliterated or something, it just happens to be. Uh, oath is, is sign um, in Hebrew. It, uh, just, it wouldn't have an A in it, but uh, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it will be a sign. Y'all see how this, this Hebrew word sign or oath is like popping up like right and left. God is really using the sign thing. And then as I, I noted to you, it's been in the notes for the last couple of weeks, the sign is actually for God. It's pretty interesting. Um, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will... See that? I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature uh, uh, of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Um, so, um, verse, just kind of going down, I went through the, the fall of Noah and uh, the, the different sons, you know, and, um, but, but the uh, interesting thing in verse 26, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. This brings up something Janice has asked me about. Isn't God the God of everyone? Yes, broadly speaking, yes. But there are certain people who are in relationship with God. So you see this popping up in the Old Testament. And what Janice was asking me about is why is Saul asking Samuel to please pray to your God? Because God has already like interacted extensively with Saul. You know, it's not like he's a random guy who never had any relationship with God. He's had the Spirit of God in him. But as we know, the Spirit of the Lord has departed Saul, and Saul is in sin. And so therefore, he says, um, you know, please, please talk to your God for me. You may have had people say that to you occasionally sometimes. More older, you know, in past generations, people talked more like that. They knew if they were not in right relationship with God, you know, they needed to be invited by the gospel to come into right relationship. But that kind of reflected like, I need somebody who's actually in relationship with God to talk to him. Could you please do that for me? Could you please intercede? So anyway, that's, that's going on there. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, my notes here just, um, I kind of already covered this. Noah is a failed second Adam. Remember this? Noah is not the answer. Cain was definitely not the answer. We run through Genesis, and we never get the right answer. Even Israel as a totality is not going to be the second Adam. We need a real final Adam, right, who reverses everything, and that's going to be Jesus. Um, now, moving on to Abraham. Abraham, uh, we've kind of set him up before with the whole Babel thing, and here he is. 
Um, I mentioned last week in introducing him that the Lord makes two commands of Abraham and there are three promises that go with each of the two commands. This is, you know, very important to understand with Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And as I've got it marked out for you there in the handout, number one, I will make you into a great nation. Number two, I will bless you. Number three, I will make your name great. Everybody see that? There's one, two, three. Make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. That's imperative language. That's not just an indicative statement. In most translations, it reads like an indicative statement. But he's saying, this is what you're going to do. And by the way, if God ever talks to you directly and says, this is what you're going to do, that's not an option. Okay? You shall be a blessing. And one, I will bless those who bless you. And number two, the one who curses you, I will curse. And number three, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the big final thing. Okay? So everybody see that? So even before we get to the d development of the covenants with Abraham, you have all that going on. The Lord further specifically makes and cuts his covenants with and or for Abram and his seed and family. God confirms and expands the promises as the story of Abram moves forward. The big deal with the everlasting covenant is, um, as far as a sign, is in chapter 17. Chapter 17. Now let's close out with that tonight, and then we'll keep going next week. I didn't get into the Exodus stuff that I wanted to, but uh, we covered a decent amount of ground, I think. Is this helping y'all understand the Old Testament? Yes? And it should really help you understand Isaiah. Um, okay, so... Um, 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. There's that thing about multiplying again. It runs all through, you know. Uh, then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So, by the way, his name's going to get changed to Abraham because of that. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be called Avraham, meaning um, your father of a multitude of nations. Uh, in Hebrew, Av, Av means father. Okay, in Hebrew, Av means father. Okay, everybody got that? So he's just got a really expanded name. He's not just the big daddy, he's the big daddy of a bunch of people. Okay, that's what Avraham means. Uh, For I've made you father of multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. There's that thing, and where, where do we know that term from? It runs all through Genesis, doesn't it? Um... And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish, I will cut my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you, throughout the generations for a, notice that, everlasting covenant. Does that covenant last after this world ends? Yes, it's an everlasting covenant. 
What do we say we want in Jesus or what do we have in Jesus? Everlasting life. This is everlasting covenant. Okay, Barit Olam. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. That's an everlasting possession. Okay? And so, in other words, this is a bigger deal, actually, than uh, eventually, Larry, hopefully I'll have time to get to it a little bit with Deuteronomy 32. This is like, this is like the big daddy here, okay? Um, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Is God just saying... That's kind of a nice symbolic thing. If you like it, go ahead and do it. If you don't, don't worry about it because I'm a really uh, soft cushion kind of a God. Is that what God, you think God is saying that? No, he's serious about this. Um, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations whether born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your, uh, with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If you're a Jew, you want to be circumcised. Yes, absolutely. If the circumcision is the type of the sign of the new covenant, baptism, what do you think? Should we be baptized? Yeah. Okay, so that's that. Everybody see that? That's an everlasting covenant there. And that has to do with God's relationship with Abraham and his seed. And it has to do with the sign of the covenant for the everlasting uh, covenant, which is circumcision. Big stuff. Good? Okay. That will wrap us up tonight. I will pray after I close out this recording.